Hello and welcome back to the 3 Plus 1 podcast where today we have our special guest uh, going up on a Tuesday, L'Oreal Oliveira. I love that. Remember that song? I'm going to look it up. Let me see. I don't know if that's the case. I just, I haven't heard that. Maybe that's like a, a hoax. I hope not. God no, bless him. No, he did. He did. He did. He really did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember it because it was so sad. Um, this was, <laughs> I, I mean, I, you know, we're going to look that up. So find that out. All right, it says, what, what was his name? He was Cape Verdean, too. I love too. McKinnon. Uh, he was a Cape Verdean. I think he yes. was a Canadian resident. And he was uh, Jake's pro- Drake's protege. Like, I know Drake had a lot to do with his career yeah. and him getting discovered. But I have not seen that in the news. What I did see in the news <laughs> is that this past weekend was a huge celebration uh, in East Point, Georgia for Tyler Perry Studios. Woo, woo. That is so um, exciting. 330-acre filming complex at the former Fort McPherson base here in the Atlanta area that brought in tons of celebrities to celebrate this accomplishment. Um, what do you think about this? What do you think about Tyler Perry in general, Laurel? I honestly respect him. I love him. I think that he is a pioneer. I think that the way I... We all look at people um, who, you know, like Diane Carroll, who just passed away, who was like the first of her kind. I think he's going to be that when he is when he goes on to glory, his legacy is going to be written in stone that he was able to do something in Hollywood as a black man that um, people are going to respect forever. So I think Tyler Perry is exceptional. I think he's a black superhero. I think amazing things of him in his work. Um, I think he gets a lot of slack also because of his projects like you know, the diary of a mad black woman. And, you know, people kind of say that his stuff is redundant, but I I feel like, well, if you feel that way, you should probably come up with your own projects because okay. he's been able to self-fund his own redundant his projects. You're, you're yeah. right, you're right. You know what? Um, so you have you always been a fan of Tyler Perry? Since he was a script. Since he did plays. From the beginning. Since he was in Atlanta doing plays, that we would be there. Tickets so, and all. You know what, L'Oreal? And I think that speaks <laughs> to the quality of who you are as a person. <laughs> Because I have not always been Is that Shade? No, it was. Oh, my goodness. This this (laughs) reputation I have for Shade, you know, is. Shade, Shade, Shade. That speaks to who you are, Lorraine. I want to call Shade. I want to call Shade. (laughs) To where a man can give an intelligent black woman (laughs) a good compliment. That speaks to who you are. About and praise the fact that you. Right. And I must. And I want to say this. Yeah. This whole weekend and seeing Tyler Perry truly epitomized my black excellence having watched Tyler Perry as an Atlanta resident do so much giving back and supporting the community in ways that we don't even recognize has given me a newfound respect and absolute adoration for this man yep I was a vocal Tyler Perry critic for a long time. Because, really? Because. And I see you as being that. That's right. So tell me, <laughs> let's talk about that. Why do, what makes you see me as someone who would be a Tyler Perry critic? Because I know you and I know that you like thought-provoking work and you like work that is, uh, I'm not going to say his work is not thought-provoking. Let me take that back. But I think that his storylines often are are similar and I know you. I know that you like things that... We like Queen Sugar together. I knew you... Queen Sugar is an exceptional show with a storyline. Well written, well I mean... It's top to bottom. It is... Yeah. Top, it is if you're trying to pull a fast one on Small Queen Sugar... Small made, but we, can, we see it because we look closely. We yes. And it's like the character yeah. development 
the depth of the character. I think Tyler Perry will give you an overall story, but I think his characters don't have as much depth, as much backstory, where you kind of become attached to a character. It's just like, this is a family, right? and this is I will Medea, say, and this I'm is, giving, you know. I, I watched some Tyler Perry shows, and this mm-hmm. is something I feel like I may need to even go back again, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Now I'm feeling like, you know, his work fits a broad audience. And I, I realize that, you know, as an English major, as someone who, you know, studies this very yeah. deeply and, 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 and really taught it to be great at teaching it. Yeah. You know, maybe I'm not fair in how I evaluate and analyze and judge these arts. Yeah. But I felt like Tyler Perry's work was sometimes like very improvised. Right, uh, right, right, Very right. like, let me just get up and make something up. And there wasn't a lot of craft and care in the project, in the work. Right. But had there been, or had it been a different approach, perhaps it wouldn't be where he is today to where he yeah. touched so many lives. So that's make, making me and say, I like, also, you know, Tyler, I'm sorry. I know. You got to just say that sometimes. But I also feel like what you just said just rung a bell for me, that he was um, impoverished. He was homeless when he started his plays. And so I feel like when you have limited resources, correct, he can just, correct. you know, use what you have when you have it. Yes. I think as he got more resources, he got more money, he got established. Then you see stuff like Acrimony with Taraji P and like, you better know, quality better films. quality films. I think what was that one film that I love that was so good with Journey Smollett and um, what was it called? Temptation. That film was really good. And it was, I was like, wow, this is a Tyler Perry film? Like, oh my goodness. But he had more, you know, funding and more resources, essentially. You're right. And that's so, something I, I see. I thought the same thing. You know, you know, when you really think about it, so many people in the, in the so many people have had a leg up. Yeah. So many people yeah. have had a he hand was, up. He's like, Tyler Perry stress. is a self-made yep. man. He's made some great relationships and some great connections. And I'm not saying he hasn't. That's not to take away from any of the people like Oprah Winfrey who yes, have been able to her. help him. But it's been a mutual help because he's also helped her. Yep. I will say yep. beyond a shadow of a doubt. When you have so little, you have to start with what you have. And he really is a 21st century success story and a model of yep. true black excellence. And what it means in the 21st century to start from the bottom and ascend to the highest platitude. But in that ascension, still be, be able humble. to give back and still contribute. So that's why, I, you know, Tyler Perry, I'm sorry for being judgmental. I'm sorry. <laughs> you heard it here first, the folks. Trap of the academic elite. Yeah. Um, I, I give you the utmost congratulations yeah. and the utmost appreciation for who you are. I was wrong in <laughs> my judgments of you in you the dress hear, and the wig. You would never hear um, this again. Talking crazy. I love On the stage. Me. But I, I, I didn't like that. I also felt like Medea <laughs> was a... Uh, negative portrayal mm. of a certain type of black woman and I did not like, like that. Like kind of like a mammy character? I didn't like that. Yeah. And I think that it spawned a massive amount of reproduction that I also don't like. Medea had me listen. You know, you have the different like <laughs> Instagram comedians throwing oh, their wigs yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah, yeah. doing all of that shucking yeah. and jiving and buffoonery and I don't, I don't like that but yeah. I do know it's a market for because if not you wouldn't, wouldn't have there. had, you know, these some of these great Instagrammers wouldn't have 3.4 million followers, and I'm sitting here with 7,000. So I have to say, <laughs> I'm not you know, about I to play them, with Kirk on tonight. I give them, I, I give them you know, give them props. 
Laurel, yeah. you are um, 18,000 followers on Instagram, mm-hmm. and you have a successful YouTube show about your experiences of flight attendant and a yes. good podcast called The Are The Funny Girl. Oh, the funny In girl. addition to all of those, you're working a full-time job mm-hmm. uh, within an airline as a flight mm-hmm. attendant and traveling the world, giving excellent customer service. And you're engaged to be woo, married woo, to Greg uh, in Carlton April Sherman. of 2020. Yes. And you're raising a beautiful daughter, Jace Kinsley. Yes, How in the you. world <laughs> do you balance all of these competing initiatives? Ooh, when you said it, my head just spun. <clears throat> um, really, my balance comes down to my schedule. <clears throat> um, I have to write everything down physically. Part of the reason why also that I have to write everything down physically is because of you because I, till this day, cannot get invested in, like, Kindles and stuff because I have to write and annotate. Like, my books are post-it notes, highlighted. But um, I have to write everything down in a planner, and I have to write everything down on a on a weekly basis. I literally put a board up in my house, like a whiteboard with markers where I can check things off because I... In fact, tomorrow I have an engagement and I did not write it down and I literally, somebody texted me about it and I literally forgot it's at 9.30 in the morning and I was like, oh my God. So I know that about myself and I think whenever you have so many moving parts in your life, you have to find a way to stay organized and that's my way. I have to literally write down on a large scale what I'm doing for the month, what I'm doing for the week, what I'm doing from day to day and then what I'm doing on a time scale. And I also like to cross things off when I feel like I'm crossing things off my list it makes me feel um accomplished it makes me feel like okay I woke up this morning I listened to a podcast I worked out I took my daughter to school I did laundry like whatever it is for that day as I'm crossing it off it makes me feel empowered for the next day and like it starts my week off right whenever I start off and I'm like I'm gonna sleep in I'm not gonna do anything I have a terrible week and I look up like what did I do so because you don't have an organizational structure that you lean on it's a framework for how you're able to balance correct and and I feel like the like I you know my fiance Gregory he's a teacher and that man I was telling him he's a planner down to like you got to tell him what you're doing, like three weeks in advance, what you want to do, because he he's not the person that you call and say, hey, let's just jump on a flight and go to Mexico tomorrow. He'll be like, no, ma'am, like he does not work like that. And that has helped me being linked to a person like that, because it really made me realize the importance of that, because I'm very fly by night by nature. And I think the nature of me is very fly by night. Like I can just wake up and say, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to go to the beach and pack my daughter up and go to the beach and he's just not like that and i see the importance in both of it like sometimes it's good to be spontaneous but a lot of times it's good to plan and then if something doesn't go as planned then you kind of you know go with the flow with that but what has been the biggest lesson you've learned from having a partner who that's an educator Woo! so many lessons um first of all i learned to be open-minded um i am i'm open-minded but to an extent i think that i'm very um I'm rigid. I will say that he, when he listens to this episode, he's going to be like, yup. But I am. I'm very rigid and I'm very, um, I, I, you know, I had a military background at one point. So that kind of came into play with me being like, this is routine for me. And being partnered with an educator really made me realize that the world is so broad and um, there's so many different types of people and different perspectives that you kind of have to be open to and you have to be able to adapt to them and accommodate 
that in um he's a very open-minded person he's very even kill he's very fair and i really love the fact that um when he met my dad who i feel like is the most rigid person ever my dad was like man like greg is such a fair like man that he's solid like he's very thoughtful and i think teachers in general are very thoughtful and very um they have to be essentially and i mentioned before he does lesson planning so like for example when we got engaged the man had a color-coded seating chart for everybody at the engagement dinner. Like, you sit here, you sit here. And I, when I saw everything unfold, I couldn't... I, it, it made me laugh because I was like, of course, that's, that's who he is. Like, that's what he does. So, um, it's brilliant. I think it's, it's so brilliant. And he's a math teacher as well. So, he's very analytical and very um, calculated. My dad used to be like, he's calculated. He's one of the most calculated people I've ever met. And it's very true. So, whereas I'm not as calculated. I'm smart. But I'm not as calculated. Not as calculated. No. Okay, so, you know, but that makes a great, <laughs> you know, unit. Yeah. Is that your strengths and skills combined with his strengths and skills and lead to a dynamic uh, power couple and power woo, duo. Woo. I, think, mm-hmm. I think if you're too much of the same thing, it kind of causes friction. Because he taught me how to be um, a planner and I taught him how to be, like, flexible. And that was something when we first started dating that we had to get used to because I'm like, are you not spontaneous? Like, you don't like to do things? Like, no, <laughs> I don't. And I was like, well, I don't like to plan everything down to what I'm going to wear tomorrow at 10 o'clock, you know? But over time, I think it definitely works well. And you need that in your life. I need that in my life. So <laughs> uh, on tomorrow, we're going to talk about the vision that you have for your future and where you're going to take the media empire that you're building. Um, Elizabeth Warren has a vision for her future as well as America as our next president. But mm-hmm. if Mark Zuckerberg has his way, she very likely will not be able to ascend to the White House. Uh, it was revealed that CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, vowed to fight any efforts to break up his company. Uh, and this is something that's being highly supported by Senator Elizabeth Warren of uh, Massachusetts. And he absolutely is willing to dig in his heels and fight against her. There's so much controversy around Facebook. I want to know what your thoughts are and what you think about Zuckerberg's Hmm. involvement, possibly in the 2020 uh, election. So just so I'm clear, based on reading the article, she is saying that she wants to disband Facebook altogether. Like she wants to be done with it. Um, so it really wanting it's a legal challenge that they're going to have and really look at what they do, the rights, the protections, and looking at some of the things they feel the government may feel, she may feel as president are not in the best interest of the American people. Um, you know what? I feel like that was a natural response from him because if you built something from the ground up that he's been building since he was in college, naturally you're going to want to defend it. And of course, at this point... He's generating so much income from Facebook that it's like, if you come in for my money, like I'm ready to, you know, go toe to toe with you. Um, I think it's unrealistic for her to want to do that. I think that's very drastic. I do think there are some concerns with the privacy concerns and also with the whole Russia scandal and how they were able to compromise that system. So I do think there needs to be some changes, but to drastically say that you're just going to do away with the whole thing, I think that's absurd and ludicrous, especially because... So do you think that Facebook, though, is creating... And I think what one of the arguments that's mm-hmm. being made by Warren and others like her is that the that Facebook is creating a monopoly in the social mm. media industry and that it's bought up, they bought up Instagram yeah. and you're buying other pieces so that there are no competitors or that can do it. 
Um, mm. And so there's also, again, still that controversy in the 2016 presidential election where Russian interference occurred yeah. because they were able to successfully flood Facebook and its image sharing platform, Instagram, with divisive content without any intervention from that company. So mm. they did not intervene to stop this. And Do you think the- Russia was paying them off? Like, I don't know. That's I mean, that's something I think that's worthy of investigation. We yeah, I definitely think happen. so. But I think it's worthy of investigation. I would think that, of course, yeah. they were putting money into the system. But yeah. whether or not it was known, I think, is I think, what's in question. But I, And I think that's, a, that's the problem right there. I feel like if you can kind of discreetly fund something like that and no one know who you are or have any tracking, I think that's an issue. Because whenever you look at... Facebook shutting down posts and things like that because it violates their policy, you're able to do that, right? So I think on that regard, that should have never happened. I feel like that's worthy of an investigation looking into why did this happen and what do we need to do to ensure it doesn't. Now, my biggest issue is that I'm honestly not on Facebook like that. I think that's why they they realized that they needed to buy other apps because millennials, we're looking at Facebook like, what? I was told when I did business consultation that I needed to maintain a Facebook. Uh, yeah. Zennials are the same. Yeah. Like, we're no longer really looking. I'm like, I, what? I post on Instagram just to share things that I feel right. my family needs exactly. to know or see yep. about my life. Same but here. I am not posting or engaging or really being involved. And I, people quote, hey, why aren't you on Facebook? Do you not see them? No, I didn't see it on Facebook because I'm the same way. I stopped supporting the platform in 2016 when I found out they uh, helped steal an election from Hillary Clinton. Nice. See, I didn't know that. But see, but see what I'm saying. But do you see what I'm saying? The election tampering seems to be a commonality within this this thing. Like, if you're talking about Hillary Clinton, now you're talking about the Trump election, and once again, Hillary Clinton was running against Trump. So you have to kind of look at it like, okay, what's really going on? You know. So I can't blame Elizabeth Warren for coming for the jugular, but I can't blame him for being like, hey, if you want to come for me, come for me. Me personally. I don't, I'm very big on Instagram and I'm semi big on Twitter, but I don't utilize Facebook. And the only time I did, when I started my job, when I started flying, they have like groups where you can um, post your trips or whatever and people can pick them up. That's the only time I didn't even remember my password. I was locked out of it and I'm still locked out now. So uh, uh, he's on his own with that. But um, I definitely feel like Elizabeth Warren in general, because, you know, we're talking about her. I feel like her, she's another one who I'm looking at her policies like, I don't know. She knows her stuff. She, I feel like she's a trustworthy candidate. Now, when you brought up the whole thing about if she can go against Trump, that's a different story. Because I think people look at her and they don't see the ideal person, like these ideologies of like, I want to be like her. I mean, it's sad to even say these things. So you're saying that she's not relatable. That when you see her, to majority, you don't relate to her. I can't because... You can't relate to her. But I... She's from New England. You're from New England. I am. But when I, I look... When I... I don't even look at people... When you I look at candidates... You have long flowing hair that could be indicative of some Indian criminal. ancestry. Some Native American ancestry. Some Verde. Some American <laughs> Indian ancestry of some sort. Yes. In, but she also says she has some Native American ancestry. <laughs> Do you, you remember that? You know, President Trump called her Pocahontas. No, y'all not about to pull out. That's what he did. But you're saying, though, as a whole, despite those things. Y'all got me snorting on the podcast. But despite that, you can't relate to her. She's not someone you can relate to. Let me tell you. you can identify with. I cannot, but I can identify what she's standing for. And I also feel, I feel like she has integrity. I feel like she's a candidate with integrity. Now, do I feel like she has, do people look at her and say, I can relate to her? No. To be honest, if we're talking about 
from a looking standpoint, I can uh, relate to Kamala. I hope I'm saying, yeah, I can look, I look at her. Kamala Harris. Yeah, I can look at her and say, she's a black woman, I'm a black woman, you know, blah, blah, blah. However, I don't feel like I can. Oh, but you can't relate to her. I can't fully. On the surface, you should be able to relate. Surface wise, and that's something that we've talked about on the podcast with multiple guests, black females who Mm -hmm. agree with you 100. Is that they really wish they could identify with Kamala? I wish I want to, but I want to. They don't find her to be relatable. You know what's so crazy? But you feel Bernie for you is relatable. Let me tell you something, Uncle Bernie. When I I love Uncle Bernie and prayers up for him. I want him to get better. I don't know if he should continue on the presidential race, but I just want him to rest up and be well so I can like meet him one day but um no and I want to like her a lot Kamala I my when my dad was alive my dad was like this was before Joe Biden entered the election right my dad was in his wheelchair we were watching his favorite thing was watching news and he goes Laurel Joe Biden's gonna enter and I was like what do you think about he's like he's gonna enter he's like he may he's gonna enter shortly after that like my dad was already gone he passed away and joe entered and i was like whoa and he told me he was like you know kamala her her what she's presenting like people want to get behind it we want barack was like we love barack you know not just because he was black but because of what he stood for the change that he brought about i want to as a black woman i want to support her but i just can't fully support her. Your father was an extremely wise, articulate, and educated man. Yes. Did he support uh, Bernie, or was he excited about Biden getting in the race? He was, was excited he, about Joe Biden. He was. He was. As many African Americans mm-hmm. are, black people are. Yeah, which is crazy. Very because much so. He has a large body of support yeah. among the black electorate. Yeah, but this is the thing. I feel like it's very important for. But he also said y'all was poor. He did, and he he did. He did <laughs> without hesitation. And a slip up. Yeah, you know, and those moments, and that's why I say what I say in regards to consistency and wanting to get behind a candidate because I truly want to get behind Joe. I feel like President Obama respects Joe. I feel like they have a, a close relationship. I I want to get behind him, but things moments like that reveal who you truly are, and I feel like and what you truly think, and that's a problem for me. I also feel like it's- he also. I mean, he did feel as though you know, black people. Uh, he's very. He was. He said a lot of things negative about reparations, about America's, absolutely uh, racial re- the need for racial racial reconciliation in our nation. Yeah, those things are coming back now to hurt him. Uh, and if you go back to when he was, um, you know, when the three strikes law came out, and he was writing bills that did not favor black people and were imprisoning black people over and over and over again. He has been questioned about those policies and his answers have been inconsistent time and time again. And so for me, I feel like it's just like when people are trying to prove the burden of proof and like you're being questioned about something that happened. If your story is consistent, what are you going to do? You're going to believe them, right? You're going to. Well, yeah, there's a level owning up to it. But if I ask you, Kirk, what happened? And you're like, that man over there robbed me. And every time I ask you, you're like, that man over there robbed me. I'm going to believe you. But if I ask you and you say, that man over there robbed me. And then next thing, that kid over there robbed me. And then the, I'm going to be like, all right. You know, it's just inconsistent. Not and to good. me, I feel, and I also feel like the whole transparency issue where you're not being your true self. Mm-hmm. You're coming on here trying to get my vote. And now when you're kind of back against the wall, you said I'm poor, you know, right. like your true <laughs> statements. McKenna Kamali Sharon is very much alive. So we want to first off uh, Wait. apologize to all of our listeners. What? 
and spreading the false belief that I love McKinnon is dead. He's alive. They say he also dead. is a current uh, resident of the city of Atlanta. So shout out to the you ATL. You are. Shout out to the ATL. Okay, Hotland. What? Okay. In addition, in addition to the misinformation being spread by the podcast, I oh want to just God. cycle I back a little it. bit. I'm it's so not, sorry. It's fine. He's alive. We retracted. <laughs> God it. bless. Know, God bless. Fine. I, you know, our 300 listeners, they will probably even... And growing. And plus. And we'll see. And plus. And see. But <laughs> you talked about the three strikes law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know your dad and you... I know you guys have talked about this and mm-hmm. debated this. I would love for you to... For us to talk about that because I actually am a big supporter. I, was, I'm a, I supported the three strike law. When really? Was I was alive. I was... <laughs> uh, you know... A I voting was, citizen. I was not. The <laughs> men of my age needs to be clarified. I was not a voting age when the three strikes law passed Woo! I was an early early elementary student elementary early elementary all right and middle schooler but I will say that I have been civically minded for a long time I've been very invested in politics I remember being as far back I will say that I can distinctly remember 1984 mm-hmm. and Ronald Reagan's re-election campaign and remember Jesse Jackson and I remember Michael Dukakis, I remember Paul Sungus, I remember these politicians yeah. that sparked Jerry Brown, that sparked excitement in me as a child, as crazy as that is. So I remember the political issues of the day. I would watch the news in the morning with my great-grandmother, I would watch the news in the evenings with my grandmother, and I would ask lots of questions. Mm-hmm. And so the three strikes law at the time was not something that the black community was opposed to. Yeah. Black people, black politicians, black elected officials, black community activists were thankful mm. that communities that were being ravaged by drugs yeah. and uh, gang violence were getting attention. Yeah. And it wasn't just something happening in these black people's neighborhoods and that it was going to be quote unquote cleaned up. Yeah. Did it have a negative impact on a black family? It did, but did it really when the parental figure or figures or family members that got locked up were, were committing crimes. Were committing crimes against their own community. The only issue that I have with it, because I'm not that abreast, I'm not gonna say I'm not as abreast as you are. Because I lived through it. Right. I the only issue when I looked up, you know, and did my research on it is that when you're talking about like the war on drugs and those types of matters where that came into play, I have an issue with when you implement that type of program or that type of law and you now go on to, well, not now go on to, but marijuana is legalized in the United States and you have people that went to prison and are may still be in prison, I don't know, who are serving time under that law for nonviolent crimes in relation to something that you have now made legal, that to me is a little, it, it's challenging because I feel like you, not necessarily criminal acts. I'm not talking about murder. I'm not talking about things that are like violent crimes, right? I, I want violent criminals to be off the streets. I'm talking about you have a billion dollar industry of marijuana where you imprisoned black people on these crimes of trafficking marijuana or whatever the case may be, and you now legalize it and they're in prison on the three strikes law. When I, I and feel like be modernized and those absolutely need to be given to be re- exactly. And then, I, I feel like yeah. if you look at my whole record and the only reason why I'm in prison is because I sold marijuana 
And I and marijuana is now legal in the very state. Let's look at California. You're majority right. of California. California was a heart of the three strikes of the three strikes law. law. Absolutely. And majority of the those individuals are in in prison on nonviolent crimes relate in relation to marijuana. And then you go on to have dispensaries in California where you can I can smoke weed. Snoop Dogg smoking weed right now as we speak. And I'm serving life in prison. My family's broken up because I'm trying to whatever I was trying to make a dollar off of this, to me, that's a little bit... I, I, I think that America really needs to examine that. Now, when it comes down to cr- criminal acts, like, you're committing rape, you're committing murder, you, you're that's your offender after... Like, yeah, you need to be in prison and they need to throw away the key. But I, I just don't agree with that. And I think that it's very foolish for me. I also feel like capitalism is very... Capitalism, to me, is very dangerous. And it's very... Um, it's dangerous. I feel like because now marijuana can make you see the value in marijuana, you see that it's a billion dollar industry, much like alcohol. Now you are able to profit from it and you're getting behind it. White people in general, white men in general, now capitalism is able to take that under its wing and say, okay, this is our now, this is now our our money bag, this is our money tree right here. But you threw black people in jail for it for years. Like and still do. It, especially even if you look at the city of Atlanta, in the in the core of Atlanta, if you have marijuana on you, you get a ticket. If any on the outskirts, Henry County, any of the, you're going to jail. Like literally you're going to jail. And then you begin the cycle of probation and the cycle of paying fines. To me, that is very concerning. I mean, I just don't I don't agree with that. But you're right. I do feel like at that period of time with 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 the gang activity and things like that, that was very necessary. It was probably something that they felt like was a drastic measure to like, okay, we have to put an end to this. We have like, we have to do something, you know, regardless when people, they weren't thinking about their families when, you know, when they were doing what they were doing. So, I mean, but, but I think it's different. I think it's very different when you're talking about violent and nonviolent crimes. Like, and especially when it comes down to marijuana, I think those cases need to be examined very closely and thrown out or not even thrown out but just give them an opportunity and a number of crimes and a number absolutely. of non-violent crimes there needs to be reconsideration absolutely across and again, the board not, and, that, and by no means am I wanting to say that my childish right. viewpoint All right. but no. was wholly valid right because again I'm a child I, how I was able to get information it wasn't balanced it was what was on the yeah. evening news and, and Good Morning America so it wasn't that I was reading deeply and looking at multiple perspectives. Perspectives, yeah. You know, in the way that I do now before I make an informed decision, I just recall, you know, that time frame and a number of black people, particularly, you know, the people that I knew Being were on board. thankful that, you know what, this is going to help. But I don't think my issue, my issue with Joe Biden is not that he supported it or didn't support it, whatever. My issue is that when you take a stance, when you take a position and you have like been grounded on that position and you're known for that you need to defend that you cannot waver now because you're being a presidential candidate you want to go with the way that things like if i see that this crowd is going for this i'm gonna go for this if this no i don't agree with that well someone who doesn't waver uh, easily is president donald trump Although oh. he constantly flip-flops information, oh, uh, his stance can definitely be uh, consistent in the way he hammers. There is a brand new poll <laughs> that came out last week. Uh, we all know, of course, about the President Trump's phone call with the Ukrainian president. Mm. We know that he absolutely owned up and said that in that conversation, he spoke about Joe Biden, Joe Biden's son, Hunter. However, a White <laughs> House, I mean, a poll came out where four in ten Republicans 
believe that Donald Trump did not mention uh, that just four of ten, I'm sorry, six people out of ten said this didn't happen. That in that conversation, President Trump did not mention Joe Biden in the conversation. Ooh, Jesus Despite the fact that mm. the transcript has mm-hmm. been released, despite mm. the fact that President Trump himself <laughs> said he did it, six of ten Republicans said or believe that he didn't. This is very concerning to me because it's it seems to, to me the well. lack of fidelity in news <laughs> sources and what people believe. I'm going to say that I think um, I'm very concerned. I think that the level of, first of all, I really, I personally need to take a closer look at who Trump's voters are in regards to their racial background, their education, their just everything across the board. Because I bet there is a commonality there of lack of education, lack of resources, like just things that point to this is the only way that you can come to this conclusion, period. Because how can you... I also feel like Trump has made his whole career on fake me fake he always loves saying fake news media fake news media like that's what he says so i think people the the people that he speaks to his supporters now pocket that like oh you know the media is just fake like oh this is you know i think they're very gullible is what i'm trying to say they're very gullible in my opinion and the only way that you can take facts something that you hear facts and that you know to be true and deny it is because of that and that's and i think that he is just there's so much I can say about him. So much and so little all at once. But I think that he just has to go. I think he's very guilty of tampering. We all know that. I think he's very guilty of corruption. He loves to say people are in treason. Try him for treason. Like this is Jamestown or something. We need to try you for treason, sir. You what? are. <laughs> you saying that. Yeah, and that's what you can very well go, though. Yeah. The fact that you've gone to a foreign nation and asked for interference in the American democratic process yeah. is absolutely tre- treason. Tre- treasonous. And then he did it again. Yeah. Publicly with China, I guess to say, see, I'm doing it again. You know there's nothing wrong with it. But but the only reason why he can get away with this, which is what I would say, I've said every day almost at work, because Lord help me at work, but you can't indict a sitting president. That's the only reason why you're able to get away with what you're doing is because you cannot indict a sitting president, which is, just, to me, that's foolish. Because right is right and wrong is wrong. I don't care. Like... Do you think these foreign nations don't see him over here acting a fool? Well, everyone sees it. I mean, so everyone sees it. what's the but, difference if you indict them? But the fact that he can't be indicted is the fact that he was elected by the American political process. The American electorate, not the majority of citizens, because right. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. The majority of people in this nation voted for Hillary Clinton. However, <laughs> he said the that was American so electorate process it put this man in office. Uh, Our yeah. democracy put him in office. And because of that, we have to deal with we it. Have to do, and it's been and a long this four American years. process may again put him back in office. I bind that up. <coughs> in 2020. Bind I it. bind it in Jesus' name. I cancel right. it out. Okay. We're going to see. Mm-hmm. We, we hope that that is the case. He's out of here. We hope that is the case. So, Laura, I think this has been a great time having you here with us on a Tuesday. And I'm excited to go into Wednesday to talk about your vision for the future. And as we talk about the vision for the future of a number of other great topics. So thank you so much for joining us and to all of our listeners. Please join us tomorrow in uh, our third episode with Jess Lowe, Laura Oliveira. Woo-woo!